Well, let me welcome you today uh, on behalf of the Center for Pastoral Leadership and Preaching. My name is John Ewart. I'm the director of that center and also the associate vice president for Global Theological Initiatives here at Southeastern. Uh, We're glad that you could join us. Uh, We have several here live with us, but also I know many of you are watching these on our website through the videos that we produce, and I hope that you'll look at some of the other videos uh, that we've produced as well. We'll continue to do that. I know this fall uh, we're going to be producing uh, some materials about baptism that's coming up soon, so I hope that you'll check out all these resources. I want to thank everyone for being here today. This is an interesting subject matter. I wish, uh, of all the times that we've gotten together and done these things, (laughs) I wish we didn't have to do this one. You know, but this is such an important issue. Um, I've had several people contact me over the last few days before we started uh, to uh, film this or prepare for this. And they were sharing with me what what an important issue this is and how they're going to use this video and these these materials to train people in their own church and their own ministries. Um, Been looking in the news, uh, had Anna print off a few things for me and just thinking about some of the recent stories of church safety and security. Um, uh, the story that happened at a major church in our denomination, Bellevue Baptist in Memphis. Uh, fortunately, they were able to subdue a heavenly armed man in the, in the four-year area. But, but I tell you, closer to home, I'm in an interim pastorate right now, not far from here. I won't say where. But um, in that uh, church, it's, a, it's not a small church, but it's not a, it's not a mega church by any means. Uh, they had a man walk in <clears throat> the other day, and uh, it was it was almost uh, almost a, a caricature uh, stereotype in the hoodie with his hoodie hood pulled up, and he said in the foyer. And fortunately, they have a security team uh, that includes local law enforcement, but they also have cameras. And it was actually on the cameras. Uh, someone was monitoring the cameras, and the man was sitting in the foyer, and they saw him pull out a, a taser, and he was pra- he was testing it. And so the, the thought is he's waiting for, he's going to wait for somebody to come by. He's going to zap them, grab the purse or whatever, snatch and run maybe or something, maybe worse. But um, so, of course, the security team was called. And as soon as he saw them, he sprinted out the door and they couldn't catch him. Um, but, uh, but fortunately, they were able to, to see uh, that behavior before it happened. I have friends in Charleston. Uh, uh, in fact, the pastor of First Baptist Church there is a friend, and he and I talked about what happened there uh, some some time ago. But but this is uh, this is an important issue for us to talk about. So I hope that that those of you who are listening and those of you who are here that will will take careful note. We have incredible experts with us today, and this is one of those sessions where that's what we need. We need experts. We need expert advice and counsel to know what to do. So I'm going to, because I, I really want them to hear who you are and what you do, let me allow you to introduce yourself. Stephen, if you'll start. Uh, good morning. I'm Stephen Griffin, and uh, I've been an independent insurance agent for over 30 years uh, with a company called Insurance People, and we represent over 75 different insurance companies. And uh, with my experience working with churches and seminaries and schools, it's getting harder and harder every day to insure churches. Uh, it's an unfortunate trend, uh, especially with what Dr. Ewart's talking about with uh, uh, unfortunate people coming on these campuses and committing crimes. And and then also, especially in the court system with the Supreme Court ruling about same-sex marriage and other things that are coming, other topics that will be coming. So it's getting uh, more challenging. Thank you for having us. Ron? 
Uh, hello. Good morning. I'm Ron Allen, um, President and CEO of uh, RRA Risk Management Services. Um, we do risk management uh, for safety, security, and also um, broad risk assessment type things. Um, so we worked. I've worked with uh, public entities, private industry, churches, schools, daycares, um, and we've um, been doing that for about 33 years now. So. I look forward to spending some time with you, and hopefully we can um, give good input into this process and moving it forward to discussion around safety and security. George? Good morning. I'm uh, George Harvey. I'm general counsel at Southeastern Seminary, and I've been here for 26 years. Prior to that, I practiced law uh, in Raleigh for about 18 years. Yeah, in this first session, what we really want to talk about, we want to talk about some of the legal and insurance issues that the churches really need to be aware of. And so this this can range anywhere from these safety and risk issues to issues like same-sex marriage and and, and counseling and, and what are we covered and when are we not covered and and uh, what kind of coverage should we be talking about. So let's, let's just start off in a fairly general insurance conversation, Stephen, if we can. Let's just talk about what are some of the basic insurance needs ideas that every church ought to think about well many churches when they start up uh dr Hubert, they're in a school renting space so they just need basic general liability pastoral liability counselor liability if they start hiring employees they need workers comp uh, if they're going to um, purchase a vehicle they need you know transportation insurance uh, auto insurance uh so those are the basic things but as they grow they buy a camp build a campus buy property they need property insurance. Uh, if they have a cemetery, they need cemetery liability. Believe it or not, you bury the wrong family member in the wrong place, you can have a have a potential insurance claim there. So uh, just kind of getting back to what I mentioned earlier in the introduction, uh, we're coming out now with uh, an endorsement called religious expression uh, because of this uh, Supreme Court ruling on same-sex marriage. If you feel like that uh, it's your uh, faith and belief that you shouldn't marry two people the same same gender that uh, y'all you need to be buying insurance protection for that it pays the legal expense and uh, an, an unfortunate other costs that's coming about that uh, and kind of just getting back to what I mentioned earlier it's getting harder and harder every day to insure churches so we're looking now y'all for solutions to to help uh, churches out throughout the United States uh, to be properly covered and protected and and insurance companies are being creative. We're starting to come out with what we call group-affiliated uh, programs. That's where you can get a group of churches and uh, put them on a singular policy and and bring in more coverage protection for them. Yeah, and I want us to dive a little more deeply into some specific areas about this in just a second. Let's go ahead and found for a foundation, George. What are, what are some of the legal basics that a church ought to be thinking about? The uh, I have. Uh, made uh, copies for handouts and also the websites are available on the uh, yeah we'll be uh, sure and put a link up for that the uh, one of the uh, handouts has uh, is by the christianlawyer.org and that's a source along with the Christian Legal Society and Alliance Defending Freedom they have wonderful resources for churches the uh, churches ministries in the law uh, article that uh, is in the handout has 10 issues that uh, churches should be aware of. This morning I think we'll concentrate on the last issue and that's prevention. 
I think probably the legal duty that we all need to be concerned about is prevention um, of something going wrong. Uh, and I think we're going to be held to a higher and higher standard uh, with the uh, climate that we have in our country today to prevent uh, a tragedy. And I think, uh, and primarily I'm thinking of children, the, the Sunday schools and, and uh, nursery schools. Uh, we don't take preventive measures. Uh, I think we're going to open ourselves up to a large liability. Sure, and in just a second, I want us to really talk specifically about that. And Ron, I'll probably ask you about that. George, before we get to that, let me just ask this because I was actually I was actually asked about this Sunday uh, at the church where I'm serving, and there was a discussion about this. Talk to me for a minute about incorporation, not incorporation in church life, because it's really interesting to me. I'm from the western part of the United States, and our and out there. Every church I, I think I knew of, once it reached a certain place after planting, the incorporation was just expected and normal. When I've lived in the eastern part of the United States, because churches are older, uh, many of them, and they predate kind of the incorporation idea, some of them aren't, not even thinking about it, don't know, you know, don't even know about it that much. So talk to us a little bit about incorporation. The uh, two benefits that we look at when a church is incorporated, one is the nonprofit aspect. I take the position that uh, your tithes and offerings are not tax deductible unless the church is a nonprofit corporation. Of course, with Southern Baptist churches, we come under the umbrella of the Southern Baptist Convention, so each church after they're incorporated will not have to uh, apply to be uh, tax exempt with IRS. And so that's uh, one issue. Um, also, the property itself. Uh, you would not have the benefit of uh, tax-exempt status on the property if, if you've got an aggressive tax uh, department in a county. Uh, that's, that's one issue. I think the issue that's more important to us today is the liability issue. Uh, if you're in a church and it's not incorporated, you run the risk of uh, a claim against the church and you don't have insurance and the church has a judgment against it. And uh, then each member of that church is liable for that judgment. So uh, personally, I do not want to belong to a church that's not incorporated because of the personal liability protection. Yeah. And uh, so that's, that's the, big, the big issue. And I think uh, a lot of churches, just because you incorporate, uh, you need to be a corporation. You need to keep uh, minutes. You need to have great bylaws. Uh, some of the handouts I have here this morning have suggested language for bylaws to protect us. Uh, and if you don't do things a corporation is supposed to do, you'll probably lose the benefit of that corporate shield. Yeah, and, and again, just, just note that um, uh, those of you who are here with us, of course, have will get hard copies of these handouts. Uh, we'll make sure that we have uh, downloadable versions of these handouts and or a link to where you can find these resources for those of you who are looking at this online. Um, Ron, I, I, I tell you, I'm interested in everybody knowing uh, you uh, who watch this, and you and Stephen both, and I don't want you to hesitate to advertise what you do well. I don't mind if this is an infomercial for your services. Really don't, <laughs> because they're valuable. Um, you're a risk management expert, and so let, let's talk for a minute. I, I want to talk later about kind of what you could offer a church, but right now let's, let's dive in, because George mentioned it. Let's talk about youth and children for a minute. And let's talk about some of the some of the issues that churches might face in those specific areas when you're dealing with minors. 
Sure. Um, and this is a topic that we could talk about for a long time. Um, there's so many areas of concerns uh, from the risk management perspective, but I think it starts with policies and procedures um, and how well those policies and procedures are written and adopted in a church. Uh, under the incorporation part of it, there needs to be policies that are written for your programs, for the different programs that you have in your church. Um, when we do assessments, we always start with the policy and procedure part of it because that's truly if you were uh, had an incident, uh, something happened in your daycare, your youth program, um, and you, get, you were brought into some type of legal action, you're going to, the first thing that's going to be asked of you is to present policy and procedure and how you followed that and how that's written for that church or for the group that you're um, working with. So when we look at that, we see that churches normally will try to write something, but a lot of times it's not gone through a legal review, which um, an attorney or somebody with legal background has looked at that. Um, a lot of times we see things written that are not uh, comprehensive. They don't cover the issues related to youth programs, supervision in those programs, background checks. Um, it, the list goes on and on. So we have a checklist that we go down and make sure that those policies and procedures are uh, followed in each of those areas. Um, so that checklist can help guide the church in some of the policy and procedure part. And then the other aspect of it is the background and screening process. Uh, we often find that churches, they either um, do not have the resources or they do not know uh, the right information to conduct proper background or screening processes. Uh, we see this often. Um, and unfortunately, that's an area that um, sometimes you hear about it on the news and sometimes you don't. Um, we were just working with a group out of Georgia and um, unfortunately, um, the background check for this individual in their youth program went really, um, did not work out well and, and uh, it, it turned out to be a really bad situation for that church. So the background and screening process, there are companies out there, third party companies, they can help churches. Um, you know, I can give names of those companies, but they, that's what they, their expertise is in that uh, background and pro uh, screening process. And also, if you're, your employees, as you're hiring people, uh, they need to go through that vetting process too. That's very important. And not only do they need to go through it, they need, there needs to be an annual review of that process because many times people's status change over a year. Um, and so that, that's a, another area of concern. And we're going to talk more later about in, in a more general way, like if, you, if a church wanted you to come in, take a look at and what you would do for them. While we're kind of talking about kids and youth, and although this is not exclusive to them, we also could be talking about senior adults and others. You mentioned earlier, Stephen, that, that insurance companies are, are actually almost hesitant or, or becoming more so, I don't want to overstate it, but about insuring, insuring churches. Um, talk to me a minute, because you and I had a conversation the other day about this. Talk to me about transportation, and let's hit those 15-passenger vans. Okay. <laughs> yes, the uh, biggest exposure to injury to your church members is transportation. Uh, just one auto accident, and a lot of children are injured, or, or your parishioners uh, on a bus, and uh, you have a large claim now. 
And as you know, every day you hear about an uh, unfortunate bus accident, uh, youth, youth could be on there or camps or whatever. So uh, years ago, the insurance industry quit insuring 15 passenger vans. They're great for uh, contractors. Plumbers, heat and air, uh, get, rid the, get rid of those back In other words, seats. <laughs> please get rid of the back seats because they turn over. Um, they, they're, and they're very unfortunate claims. Uh, so they're the newer ones now uh, are modified, so they are much safer. But I was out in Utah one time and uh, took a tour of the U.S. Uh, Olympic uh, Village, and I rode in a 15 passenger van. I thought, oh my word. So they're they're still out there. We're, we are trying to get them off the road. All across America now, people are watching this video going, uh-oh. <laughs> because they have a 15-passenger van sitting out there, bought in 1978. It has the church stenciled name on it, barely visible, but they're using it every week. Yeah. So that's that's. Important. I did want to follow up about uh, Ron's yeah, comments yeah, about please. background checks. Uh, we have handouts, and it'll be on the website, uh, a company that we use to do background checks. Um, the one uh, large claim I had, sexual abuse claim in my 30 plus year career, uh, was where they did the U.S. background check, but not international. And so the uh, perpetrator was an international. So really now you have to go, because we travel everywhere and our society is much different, you need to do an international background check. Yeah, so before we get to some of the, the, the security issues and the, the following, sessions that we're going to do are going to be very much focused, I think, on the security side of things. But before we do that, and bef so before I ask you about that, George, I want, I want to go back to Ron just for a minute. Ron, talk to me a little bit about, as a risk manager, describe the kind of, of service that you could provide for a church just in overall. Well, it's one of those things where um, you look at it from a broad perspective, from the risk perspective likelihood, um, and that's all about uh, enterprise risk management, looking at the broad perspective, uh, safety and security aspect. Uh, we talk about the security, safety, and risk management being a triangle. Uh, they need to interconnect in your policies, your procedures, um, the way you function from your safety programs. Um, I know we just talked about background checks. Um, I, I will say when when uh, a family drops off children that are minors to your church, uh, you become the custody of those children until those children are picked up um, and released back to their parents or to the guardians. Um, you're responsible for those children. And oftentimes those children, as we know, uh, the program will be over and they become unsupervised children and that becomes a really major issue. So our risk assessment looks at all your programs. Um, it, we like to call it a on-site uh, comprehensive risk assessment. We look at the interior of your facilities. We look at the exterior. We look at your surveillance program. We look at, um, we look at all your safety programs, your playgrounds. Uh, if you got a school, uh, we're looking at your school program, your policies and procedures, and how they're administered uh, across uh, training of, you know, we talk about security, but training of youth is very important in the security aspect. Uh, youth need to know what to do and how to react. Even small children need to be trained. So what kind of training programs do you have for your daycare or for your um, larger schools? Um, so. And I see a gap between the risk, 
the safety and the security aspect as we go into these uh, churches and schools, whether it's a private school, uh, public schools, or churches, uh, we, we see those gaps. Yeah, and so an issue that w- we haven't really talked about yet, and, and frankly, I don't want to throw you a curveball here, but um, another issue when it comes to um, risk and it comes to insurance and even legalities would be in the area of pastoral care counseling. Uh, and we, we haven't talked about that a whole lot. We didn't talk about that a whole lot even before this time together. But in, any thoughts, I mean, this could be any one of you, any, any thoughts on, on what, we, what the church needs to make sure, maybe from the insurance standpoint, from those umbrella coverage plans to make sure that if I'm counseling someone um, to make sure that I'm covered from liability, those kinds of issues. Stephen, you got, any, you got anything about that? Yes, we automatically add pastoral uh, counseling liability. So it's on there. Uh, it's based on the number of pastors and associate pastors that you have uh, and youth uh, leaders. That And typically, and Ron and George may get into this a little bit more on the legal and risk management piece, but typically we're talking about marriage counseling or just some simple, simple issues, not getting too much into the psychological uh, counseling. And, and let me ask you this, because this actually came up to me. I just want to say this may not be a big deal at all. Um, and I didn't know the answer to the question. And I have people here at the seminary who could probably answer this for me too. But someone was saying to me the other day, we shouldn't even use the word counseling. Uh, we should say pastoral care. Uh, pastoral but the word care. counseling could actually be a trigger word, because unless you're a certified licensed counselor of some kind, that you shouldn't use that word. Correct. We, we, you know, the insurance industry is archaic. We still call it, well, but we're heading towards yeah, pastoral liability where it's just uh, the basic. Uh, yeah. Anything else, anybody on the counseling side? I, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. Probably some of the biggest lawsuits against churches come out of counseling situations. Uh, probably the most famous is the John MacArthur case. Uh, most churches do not have the resources to fight that type of case. But, uh, I think also in counseling, you have to be awfully cautious about protecting the privacy of the person. Some of the other issues that come out of counseling, you can run across a child abuse situation. Then the pastor is criminally liable if they do not report. It's an absolute duty to report. So there's a lot of minefields in the counseling area that uh, I think that goes back to your corporation documents. The bylaws need to clearly specify the function of the staff people and what they're to do and their duties and roles and make sure they adhere to those uh, specified duties and roles and do not get outside of that. I think the insurance people will look at what's described and are going to insure based on those descriptions. And if you deviate from it, you may not have coverage. Yeah, so those policy and procedure and personnel manuals really are are crucial, and they need to be done well. I think also to make sure you counsel, I mean, you couch all of that language in your bylaws and policy procedures on theological grounds. Sure. With theological grounds, you may be able to keep it out of court. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, Ron, you want to? Just some guidance on policy and procedure there. I had a pastor tell me one time, he said, my policies are going to be very short. Uh, My procedures may be longer. Uh, And I would advise, you know, as you're creating policy and your bylaws and and connecting the dots, that the policies be 
um, review by an attorney, but be very short. And then your procedures spell out your processes and how you're going to accomplish those programs. That's very important. I had an HR director from a church send me applications to review, and I'm not um, the person to send them, but he sent them to me. And I looked at one. I just happened to glance at a couple and one of the applications for um, an associate uh, head minister there, um, he had a reference, two or three references from other churches and pastors. But he also had two references on there that kind of stuck out to me. And one was from a probation officer. <laughs> and it was for him. And, um, and I told him, you may want to check this one. And he did. And certainly he had, he had some background there that they needed to uh, look at. Um, so review process for people we're hiring is very important, too, in your process. You know, I've, I've been a consultant for hundreds of churches and worked with denominations and so have seen the impact on thousands of churches. And I see a lot of really bad policy manuals in churches. Um, the other thing I see churches sometimes do, and this would be interesting to see if you have any comment. George, you might have uh, something to say. But I, I see churches trapping themselves in their constitution and bylaws. Uh, one of the things that I always tell churches is make your constitution and bylaws very strong, but, but don't make them to where you have to change procedure in your constitution and bylaws. There needs to be a separate procedure document. Constitution bylaws might refer to it and might refer to the current version of that policy and procedure manual. But make the policy and procedure manual something that you can change where you don't have to have nine-tenths of every single church member there who's ever lived. And, you know, you have to put it out six months in advance for 14 meetings before you can vote to change anything. Because some constitutions are like that. You know, it takes you forever. It would take you a six-month period to change church constitution in some churches because of the way they've written the voting policies in some of these churches. And so make sure that there's enough flexibility to where you can update the actual policies and procedures that pertain to this and that the, the Constitution bylaws very likely would just refer to the, uh, to the current version of that. Does that make sense to you all? Yeah, I think your Constitution and bylaws would give you an outline with which to uh, carry out the policies. Okay, so um, in the next couple of sessions, and I want to ask some lead questions into that, in the next couple of sessions, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, in the, in the next session, we're going to talk about kind of preventative safety and security issues. And then in the final session, we're going to talk about what happens if you're in the middle of a, of a real, situ, real crisis, real situation. So leading into that idea a little bit, leading into the idea of security, security teams, um, we need to talk about the legalities, we need to talk about the liabilities, we need to talk about what that, what that means because... Part, part of my concern in some of the churches I know in certain parts of the United States of America that will remain nameless, like where I'm from, the issue is not going to be whether or not there are people in the congregation who have guns. The, the, the issue is going to be how much is the crossfire going to take place when, when Bubba decides to take this on by himself. And so this is something we're going to talk about later with some professionals in the field. But, but in the meantime, George, let's, let's start with you. Let's talk about what are some of the legal issues that a church might want to consider if they are literally talking about having an armed security team or whether it's just a team of unarmed safety volunteers, just what are some of the legal issues that we're talking about here? I, once again, you're looking at foreseeability and so what a reasonable person would foresee. My preference from a liability standpoint would be that you only have trained law enforcement handling security at a church. That's my preference. Uh, 
a concealed carry class, uh, seven-year-old widow woman can pass that, but she does not have the proficiency uh, to handle a situation. So if you permit that, I think you open yourself up for liability. If you don't have uh, professional law enforcement trained personnel, uh, if you're going to have a security team, I would then opt to someone make sure they're well trained. And there are classes well beyond the concealed carry class for defense uh, practices. I know uh, Dr. Lawson and I have dis discussed that for here. And uh, so you need to be careful about trying to protect yourself. Even though you have a duty to protect, you need to be very careful how you put that into practice. Yeah, Stephen from the insurance world. What what, what, are, the insurance, what are the insurance companies think of <laughs> such things? This is a tough one. So uh, if you ever want to learn about an insurance policy, which will put you to sleep quickly, read the exclusions. And <laughs> the main exclusion there is intentional act. And so the insurance companies are going to look for a way not to pay that claim. Um, we are starting to add endorsements back, uh, especially when it's sanctioned law enforcement. Uh, on the on the seminary campus or the college, private college or, or whatever, the school. So uh, a lot, lot of uh, our schools are going to, our faith-based schools are going to resource officers, getting a, a qualified uh, sheriff detective there. Um, that's uh, there during events and, and so forth. So, so the insurance policy excludes coverage for intentional act. Uh, and so that, that, that would be something you would need to talk to your insurance carrier about to get that uh, gap covered. But it's, a, it's an important word that they need to talk to their insurance people specifically about these types of things. Correct. Because, um, you know, I think sometimes we go into this assuming that there's a bad guy and the good guy gets the bad guy, so it's okay. Well, the problem the problem is is that maybe somebody else is hurt besides the good the bad guy. You know, regardless of whether it's okay to get the bad guy or not, but there there might be others who are hurt in the process. And what happens in those situations with claims? My son was just involved um, two days ago in a drive-by shooting. Uh, he his car. Let me say. Let me rephrase that. So to, let me take the drama down. Um, my son's car was involved in a drive-by shooting and uh, it destroyed my son's car. And so I spent yesterday buying my son, I did, my wife did, because she does all the heavy lifting in our house. Um, but my wife helped my son buy a new car yesterday because his son got, my, my son's car got shot up. Uh, he wasn't in the car, he wasn't anywhere near the car, thank the Lord. Uh, but in that case, I, I have a case number from a police officer that I'd be, you know, I'm sure my insurance company would be glad to see, but the gentleman who shot up the car has no insurance. And so uh, I bought my son a new car yesterday. <laughs> and that's covered under comprehensive coverage, by the way. So it's called uh, vandalism. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so a lot of a lot of collateral uh, issues can happen in these kinds of scenarios, and I don't make light of them. But but uh, it's serious business. Ron, you have anything to add in those kinds of situations? No, I know we're going to talk more details yeah, into are. security in a few minutes. But um, you know, I. I Agree. There's one piece about the community law enforcement piece, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, we will. And Dr. Lawson's going to join us in the next session. Uh, he's an expert in law enforcement, and he's going to be talking to us about some of these issues. Listen, I want to thank you all for this first session. Uh, George, thank you so much for, for bringing the legal to us. And uh, we're going to have some Q&A here for those who are here in just a moment. But uh, 
I'd be glad for those of you who are watching the videos, I'm sure to, we'll get resources in your hand and try to show you some links and, and uh, some resources. Ron's going to come back with us, and I might get Stephen to come back with us as well here. So uh, we appreciate it very much. Thank you all, and we'll, uh, we'll take a little break, and we'll see you in the next session.